Welcome to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Louise Webb, and I'm today's host. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous support from the Kirtland Spouses Club. Today, we are going to be chatting with Antoine Robinson with Oklahoma Human Services. He's here today to talk about how military parents can become foster parents. So thank you, Antoine, for joining me on our MSEC podcast. I'd like to go ahead and start with having you tell us a little bit about you and Oklahoma Human Services. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me uh, today. Uh, I truly appreciate the opportunity to join your podcast to discuss how military families, you know, can get involved uh, with fostering and adopting. I've been with Oklahoma Human Services for a little over seven years. Our agency serves over a million families and children yearly to help provide assistance from food benefits, uh, Medicaid services, uh, child care assistance, TANF, so t- temporary assistance for needy families. We have adult protective services, child welfare services, among, you know, some other important programs. I began my journey with the agency in 2014, uh, working with the aged, blind, and disabled population. Um, I was primarily administering um, Medicaid and SNAP benefits for those vulnerable Oklahomans. In 2016, I transferred to child welfare services where um, I started working as a permanency planning uh, specialist. So um, I was, you know, visiting, you know, foster children in their placements, uh, ensuring that children had the proper services uh, that they needed in order to, you know, grow and thrive and, you know, be safe and happy. I did some work with the biological parents, trying to help them overcome, you know, some of the obstacles that, you know, they face work, you know, in the court system, um, et cetera. That was definitely an eye-opening experience. I learned a lot. In 2017, I accepted my current uh, position as a uh, recruiter uh, for foster care uh, and adoption. Uh, So primarily my responsibility today uh, is to recruit loving individuals and families willing to care for, you know, children placed in Oklahoma's foster care system. I think what stood out to me the most when you first started out was 1 million families a year that you all service. So, yes, wow, that's the, a, yeah, yes, that's a lot of people. That's yes, amazing. Yes, ma'am. So part of your job is to recruit for foster families in your area. So I was wondering how many foster families do you typically help? And also how many of them are military families? It's a very good question. So I primarily serve uh, Comanche County. Um, That's the Lawton Fort Seal area. And as of August 1st, we had a total of 351 children placed in the foster care system here out of Comanche County with a total of 134 foster homes. Um, And about half of those are that's split up into like traditional foster parents versus your kinship uh, foster uh, parents. But you can definitely see we have a lot of work, you know, ahead of us with, you know, 351 children, you know, placed in the system. Uh, the goal for the agency is to have more resource families, you know, than the amount of children in custody. 
in an ideal world, of course, we wouldn't want, you know, a single child in foster care, but we live in the real world. And unfortunately, you know, we have children in the system. So we've been able to make some progress over the last three years or so, primarily within the, the military community. Of the 33 traditional foster homes that we've been able to recruit and develop, about 20 of them have been military families. And that number is continuing to increase as we continue to, you know, try to put the work in um, to get more families, you know, for our children. So well over half of our traditional resource families have come from the military, and, you know, since I've been in this position here in Comanche County. So we're definitely grateful for not only, you know, their service to our country, but definitely to our children and families who are involved in the child welfare system as well. Simply put, our military families have been a major asset as far as us helping children reunify with their biological parents, or in a lot of cases, being able to provide, you know, permanency for our kids through adoption. I love to hear that. I'm a, my husband's retired from the military. So to hear you speak so highly of military families, just really ugh, gives me goosebumps. So it's, it's exciting to hear. So, as you know, Antoine, military families move a lot. So how does fostering look for a military family when their lifestyle has them moving so frequently? Yes, that's a great point. Um, and I think there's a misconception among the military community regarding military families being able to foster and adopt. We understand military families will only be here, you know, for a set time, but whether it's three years or 12 months, we will assist any family who is willing to help, you know, a child in need. A tremendous impact can be made on a child's life, even if it's only temporary. After all, foster care, you know, is intended to be, you know, temporary. So regardless of the amount of time a family has here at Fort Sill, uh, we will help our families make the biggest impact on our kids, you know, while they're here. Also, if families are interested in adopting children who are placed with them, and they may be close to a PCS, there's a process called ICPC. It's the uh, interstate compact on the placement of children. Essentially, this means that, you know, this would allow a resource family to travel to their new duty station, you know, with their custody child or children. We actually have a military family currently on an ICPC in California. I think a lot of people are unaware that you can move a foster child, you know, out of state. There are, you know, variables, of course, that, you know, could affect this, but it, it's certainly a possibility. And we think, we think it's important, you know, to highlight that. I agree. I think that's a huge point to highlight because I, before I really started talking with you and we were preparing for this podcast, I really had no idea. I would have thought the same thing like, oh, I move too much. You know, that's not something I can do. So I love that there's services in place and a, a plan in place that can, can help with that. And hopefully for that family, military family, if they have a child that they're taking care of, if they're interested in adopting that, that ICPC can help. So, Antoine, you mentioned out of 33 traditional foster families, 20 plus or so have been military. So what makes a military family so unique or so like just such a great a fit for this fostering? Well, I believe that our military families can relate to some of the uh, challenges that our, our kiddos, you know, endure. You know, there's a lot of oftentimes, you know, children, you know, they have multiple moves, you know, they're in. You know, they may have to 
bounce around from foster homes to shelters to group homes, you know, just different, you know, areas of the state just due to us having, you know, a shortage of uh, homes. Um, so there's a certain level of resilience, you know, that is built up, you know, in our kids and our, our foster, excuse me, our military families as well, you know, just having multiple moves. I guess with our military families, just there's an aspect of just serving. Uh, I mentioned, you know, serving our country, serving, you know, children who are disadvantaged. I just think there's a connection there that just makes it a nice match, you know, for our military families to step in and, you know, help out, you know, our children. Absolutely agree. And you said that word resilience, which is is a big buzzword for military families. Our children are resilient. And I could see how in the foster care system, those kids need to be resilient too. So it's kind of a nice match. Definitely. And I have, you know, I have a, like I said, we worked with a lot of, you know, military families and maybe if we could, you know, bring one on, you know, to the podcast so that they can, you know, provide some insight from, you know, their personal experience, you know, fostering and adopting. If we could have maybe the ICPC family on to shed some light on that, I think that that would be amazing as well. I love I love that. I love that idea. Okay, so let's roll down into if a family is interested in fostering. So how long does the process take? It can vary, but our goal is to have families fully approved uh, within 60 to 90 days. Uh, now, of course, you know, every family is different, so approval times can fluctuate, but 60 to 90 days is our target. I feel like that's a great amount of time. I think I thought it would take longer than that, so I hope that that's a... <laughs> A really good perk to people yeah. that it's 60 to 90 days. Look how fast it, you know, a month goes anyway. Right. Historically, so. historically, it, it, you know, it did take longer, but, you know, we've condensed the application process down a little bit, you know, got rid of some of the paperwork and, you know, tried to make it a little, you know, smoother and more efficient. So I love that. I love that. So in the same along those same lines, are there certain requirements involved in becoming eligible to foster? Absolutely. Uh, we have a responsibility to uh, vet every applicant to ensure we're, you know, we're placing children in appropriate homes, you know, with safe people, of course. Uh, so uh, we will conduct thorough criminal and child welfare background checks. Um, every applicant is required to uh, be fingerprinted. We'll contact a minimum of six references per family. If there is any mental health history, we'll obtain a behavioral health reference and or medical records. There's a 27-hour training requirement. Um, this is a trauma-focused uh, training that will provide some of the guiding principles essential um, for caring for a child who's a victim of, you know, maltreatment. Families can complete this training in person or online. There's a medical exam requirement uh, that assesses an applicant's physical and mental health. Um, there's a resource family assessment or home study, as we call it, that will be completed on every family. Um, this is a document that will tell DHS a story uh, about our applicants' lives. It can be somewhat intrusive, but if we are going to entrust families, you know, with our children, you know, it's to be expected. Um, these requirements are, you know, federally mandated. Um, so um, I know you guys have listeners, you know, in other states, and they should expect to undergo some of the same things if they, you know, 
um, explore the process in their area. I find it interesting that, uh, so I, my husband and I have two sons and they're both adopted from birth, not through foster care, just privately. But we had to go through a lot of the same things and my children are young adults now. So those systems haven't changed. But right. I will say the difference is um, going through the foster care system. My next question is, is there a cost to families for all of those, that checklist items, so to speak, that you just mentioned? Does that cost anything to the family that is looking to potentially foster? Right, that's a great question. I, I get that presented to me often. There is no cost uh, to foster or adopt. Uh, if you go through Oklahoma Human Services or another, you know, state's um, equivalent agency. Um, so that is, you know, an important distinction. Um, I think the, whenever you go the private route, um, there will be, you know, sometimes it's a hefty, you know, cost, um, you know, to adopt. Um, you may, there may be incidental, um, Things such as out of state background checks, or, you know, we may require, you know, a family to, you know, purchase a gun safe if they have weapons or, you know, little things like that. But overall, there's no cost associated. That's amazing. I think that's a big, a big important question to have answered for. For families that are considering this, so let's jump ahead to a family going ahead and being selected as a foster family. What kind of supports are in place to help them? Yes, um, our agency understands uh, just how critical it is to support uh, the families who are, you know, caring for our children. Um, so while fostering, families will have 24-7 support uh, from DHS. There will always be someone available to speak with if needed. There's a 24-7 mobile crisis response team comprised of uh, mental health consultants um, who are ready to help during any type of crises. Um, child care is covered at 100% for families um, who are employed or um, attending school. We know that child care can um, be costly uh, in today's you know, world, so that's a nice benefit. Children are covered 100% under the state's Medicaid program. So families will not have to be out of pocket for any type of medical services, therapies, um, dental, vision, anything. Um, we provide respite care for our foster families. Um, so for any families who might need a break or maybe they need to go and, you know, enjoy their anniversary or they need a date night or whatever the situation might be, they might have an emergency. Uh, we provide respite care for those families. There's a monthly stipend provided to every family to help offset the costs, you know, associated with, you know, raising children. Um, that's a very uh, important um, benefit or support. Um, there's also, you know, free, you know, professional training opportunities provided regularly, you know, to all of our families. We want to continue, um, you know, developing our uh, resource families to the best that we can to help, you know, support them as they are caring for our kids. Um, and there's more supports throughout our, you know, community. We have, you know, clothing closets. Um, there's travel reimbursement that we, you know, give all of our foster parents if they have to, you know, travel 
to Oklahoma City or Tulsa for, you know, specialized appointments or, you know, maybe visits with, you know, biological parent, et cetera, uh, will reimburse for, you know, uh, the travel um, and other things. But I think those are some of the uh, important uh, supports that we can provide our families. I agree. And that is a lot of support. I, uh, that's amazing. It's awesome that you do all that for the families that are helping these kids. So we've talked about how you live near a military base in Oklahoma. And as you already mentioned a little earlier, we do have listeners from all over the United States. So how can a family learn more about fostering in their local community? Right. So they can, every, every um, state has um, a social services, you know, agency, um, which, I mean, they may be called something different, but essentially, you know, they administer some of the same federally funded, you know, programs um, and child protective services or child welfare services um, is in every state and um, the Listeners can reach out to their local uh, agencies to obtain more information. Um, I'm sure every state has their, you know, website with, you know, their information or, you know, Google nowadays provides a lot of, a lot of information. So I'm sure that they can, you know, find out how to reach their local agency. Awesome. Thank you for that. So here on our MSEC podcast, we love to hear about how people make connections, how they're able to do what they love and also make a difference. And we call it hashtag live a great story. So Antoine, I can tell that you're very passionate about fostering and your job and helping kids find a forever home, whether it is with their biological family or with a foster family. So can you tell us why this means so much to you? Certainly. Um, I honestly don't feel like, you know, this is a, a job per se. Um, I'm just the hands and feet, you know, trying to fulfill God's mission. Um, no child deserves to be abused, neglected, or forsaken. Um, and I'm frequently reminded of just how great humanity is every time a family gets approved, you know, for foster care. Every time they open up their hearts and their homes, you know, for, you know, our children. Um, it's great to see. Um, and to see the lives of children change for the better is what ultimately drives me. Um, whether that means a foster family worked towards a successful reunification or, you know, they provided a child with a forever home through adoption. Uh, there's not a more rewarding feeling uh, than that, uh, in my honest opinion. I agree. I'm being on the adoption end. I completely agree with you. <laughs> it is. Uh, okay. So thank you for thank you and your husband for you know adopting. Yeah. That was very important. I think we're the lucky ones, honestly. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a it's a journey for sure, and it's, and I hope this is a journey that many military families will look into, like you said, to open their their hearts and their homes to kids that that need it so that that would yes, be yes. ideal and hopefully that's the purpose of this podcast today so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and for sharing with all our listeners about how a military family can learn to become a foster family and join us in a future episode 
because we are going to try to share how a military family was successful in fostering to adopt with Antoine services. We're looking forward to that. Antoine and I have already talked about that. We're hoping to make that a, a reality. So any sites that we talked about today or Antoine shared today, we're going to put those in our show notes. So listeners, please check out our show notes to get links to those sites so that you can learn more information. And thank you again to the Kirtland Spouses Club for their generous support of this podcast. Until next time, live a great story. 